Welcome to Mentored. Join two professional mentors, Carson Pugh and Martin Sanders, as they provide straight talk and wisdom to fellow leaders. Their approach is no-nonsense, practical, and focused on helping you become a better leader in all aspects of your life. Together, we'll gain valuable insights and actionable advice from these seasoned mentors. So now, here's our episode. Welcome to Mentored. I'm Carson Pugh, and I'm sitting here with my good friend, Martin Sanders, and we're here to talk about issues related to mentoring leaders. And this episode's topic is going to be focused on how do we mentor people who are experiencing ongoing relational conflict? Maybe, Martin, let me throw this over to you in terms of how do we actually define that when you and I are are talking about somebody who is experiencing just ongoing conflict, what does it look like? Conflict and relational conflict are two things. You can have conflict over abstract things, thought processes, theologies, approaches, but relational tends to have a lot more sensory and feeling things in it. Mm -hmm. It has a, a lot more ability to bring deeper things into the heart, soul, emotion, and they don't go away quickly. Right. Yeah, we're talking about situations where this is an ongoing conflict. It has been happening. Perhaps it's been happening for years, and it is draining, whether you acknowledge that or not. It can be extremely challenging. Sometimes I encounter it with people where this is happening right within their family unit, and they've got ongoing conflict with a sibling or with a parent that just has never, it's never healed, it's never gone away, and they are, they're living with that. And there's lots of causes for this that are part of what the struggle is. I think one is a communication problem where you, you aren't communicating, actually. It's a lack of communication where you could be talking to each other, but you're not hearing each other, you're not understanding each other. Also, statements made, both current and in the past. You mentioned siblings or parents. It often goes to extended family, um, aunts, uncles, cousins. You've grown up with them, but it feels different because their words carry more weight, and they stick in your head. A lot longer. You have a hard time shaking Mm. them. And in the workplace, another place where you can have ongoing relational conflict is where there's a situation where there's a power struggle going on. When maybe somebody else wants to be the leader and they're not the leader, or maybe it's you holding power over somebody else and that power is kind of at the root of this ongoing conflict, but that can be one of the other causes. Why do you think people can't shake it? We'd mentioned in a different podcast that certain people's words carry more weight than others. And so when you're young and informative time frames, if somebody says something to you, it tends to stay longer, especially if it's somebody you continue to see, somebody you continue mm-hmm. to yes. interact with. It's one thing if a teacher or a coach or somebody says something, you may not see them after a couple of years. But these people show up at family reunions. Mm -hmm. 
just the thought of them triggers it. We can have different values and beliefs. Sometimes I'm speaking with people, and they might be from a Christian faith perspective. The person they have the conflict with does not hold that same faith. And you tend to approach problems differently or issues differently because of those values and belief systems. I think we can even have a stylistic approach to how we deal with problems. Do you deal with them up front and directly? Are you passive in how you deal with those? All of these can lend themselves to actually keeping conflict going. You sound a bit more Canadian than usual and how you have come <laughs> across here. <laughs> Because in the current situations in the U.S., you have people who would think they have similar values, but come down on very different sides mm -hmm. of both religion and politics. Well, you know, that takes place a lot in Ireland, where people yeah. are looking at you, and you might both say we're Christian, but you have different understandings of what that really means and what the behavior should look like. What about people where you just have a personality clash with them? Well, if we could solve that one, we would rule the universe and make a lot of money <laughs> because it is just yeah. a common thing out there. And sometimes it's hard to pinpoint, what is this thing? Yeah, what does it mean? What do you do if you have a personality clash in your family? One is to acknowledge it and just go, we don't see eye to eye. We don't feel the same way. I listen to a lot of younger adults, mostly mid-20s and up, and they'll say things like, the people I'm around feel more like my family than my family does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But your friends will probably transition. In 20 years, you may not be connected to them, but you will always be connected to your family if not the way you want it to be, they'll at least contact you, own yes. some responsibility to keep including you, whether you want to or not. Yeah, there will be family events that so you get invited just, to. Just don't write them yeah. off. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you mentor a leader who's going through ongoing relational conflict? Well, you always frame it because often it takes on a life of its own. And so as we describe it, we describe it sometimes as larger than it is, or it gets far too much emotional mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. The other one to just say, let's make it what it is and what it's not. So let's just get started, talk about it, yeah. and let's try to be as, as objective as possible. Because most of the time, these aren't objective when they start right. out. <laughs> yeah, I will frequently start with people getting clarity on exactly what it is that we're talking about to try to get perspective. But then I ask them to pray and to do some reflection on this. And Scripture tells us that if we lack knowledge, we can ask for it. So pray and seek for some guidance in terms of your role in the relationship and what you might do to make it better. I don't like this question when, if it was pointed to me, but it would be, how would Christ handle this relationship? I don't want to say, what would Jesus do? Well, I just did it. But like, how would Jesus long for me to respond when I'm in a situation where there is ongoing relational conflict? 
One of the things I remind people often in these situations, Jesus was both kind and direct. And we often assume just the kindness factor. If we're just kind enough, you know, no, that, that's not going to work here. Some of us have to remind ourselves that directness is a great tool, mm-hmm. but that Jesus was actually kind. Right. And it's both. Yeah. And we often emphasize one, one over the other. Leave the other one out. Yeah. I had a situation where I was with a man and I was introducing him to a therapist that I wanted him to spend time with. And when we were going through talking about why he was going to be coming to meet with the therapist, uh, or the therapist said something kind about, well, you, you have a great guy who's brought you here. And he responded saying, oh yeah, Carson's really nice. And the, the therapist goes, no, wait. Carson is not always nice, but he's always kind. And he was giving the guy a warning about my directness. And so having listened to you, I feel more Jesus-like right now. (laughs) Always my goal. Always. (laughs) You're welcome. So so what about encouraging the leader? Um, How do we take it from you're in a conflict, you've probably been avoiding it, for a long time because you you don't want to think about them or you certainly don't seek them out to hang out and have a picnic. So how do we encourage them to take a, a first step? With the leaders I've worked with, I said, we're going to talk about this, but not in a narrative. I don't want the details of the conflict according to you. Mm-hmm. But I want to frame this so in your mind, here's what I say. Here's what I wish they would say, and here's what they typically say. Let's frame it in that sequence Mm -hmm. so we can get some objectivity to it. And almost every time they go, this is really hard. Yeah. Like I run the scenario in my head too many times, and I just live with it, and then it creates angst, Mm -hmm. and so I try to get rid of it, but never sort it out, what do I actually want to say? What do they say? But in between, what do I wish they would say? Mm -hmm. I've helped some people in mentoring to really begin to practice active listening. I teach them what that is, Mm -hmm. which is you repeat back to them what you are hearing from them. You close the loop on the communication. By doing that, you're signaling to them that you are really working hard at trying to listen, but it also provides an opportunity for correction. That can often be an initial step into trying to get some constructive dialogue happening over our relationship. When I'm working with a leader and we go through this process, don't want to interrupt, mostly want it to be directed by them. Attempt to give perspective, but perspective is different here than with a young leader and you're trying to get perspective on some total of Mm -hmm. their life or one aspect of it. In this situation, it's to bring objectivity. And many times I've said, if you actually spoke to the person the way you'd like to, would you respond to that? Mm -hmm. And they go, no. Okay, (laughs) now we're getting somewhere. Mm -hmm. This is what you want to say. So let's access that emotion and go, why has this thing got this much control in your life? Mm -hmm. Let's go after that. Where does all the power come from in it? 
we also have to eat some humble pie if you want to make movement towards resolving relational conflict. And humility, approaching the situation with humility is, that's like permission to play, <laughs> to have a conversation about our togetherness or our not togetherness. So I think helping a leader to set aside their ego and to be humble and to listen, even if you disagree, we need that humility in order to foster the conversation that can bring to a healing. Good insights. One more I would add. Sometimes the absence of self-awareness on mm -hmm. one part or the other or both combined and put together, it sort of multiplies it. Mm -hmm. I, I had a boss in the past in an academic structure. It's different. But had somebody who was over me. A couple times a year it came up that this person was annoyed with me. And it was obvious. <laughs> Understandable, perhaps. On, on a bad day, absolutely. But it was awkward, awkward for the people around us as mm -hmm. well. So I would make an appointment and go in. They often got canceled hmm. before I got there. You know, other appointments got it pushed out. So sometimes I would just say, I'm going to come and sit in your office until you come back because we can't let this just yeah. keep going. And we would sit down and almost every time it was the same. Look, it's not your issue, Martin. It's mine. And there would be something, and sometimes mother got brought into this or other things. It was never anything about me. And I would say the challenge with this is I can't own any of this right. the way it is. It's, it's just my issue. And I go, but it keeps coming up. Mm -hmm. So can we get to the core of this thing eventually? You know, should we bring in a third yeah. party? How do you want to do this? I think we had six or seven of those meetings. I don't want to make it seem like this was nice. Mm -hmm. And eventually there was resentment, but it had gotten bigger than yeah. reality. It was one small thing, in my mind small, but it triggered things for him. And one of the comments was, I just don't know how to be your boss. Yeah. Well. And I said, okay, but we've worked together for a long time and we're actually a team in many places. Maybe it's hard to be my boss because we've been a team. Mm. If I need to adjust, please let me know what that would look like. Yeah. I'm not making myself out to be the bigger person in this. I was just trying to bring resolution because it took up way too much energy for me mm. that I didn't know what to do with. Mm. Is it possible to agree to disagree? Is that really possible? And does it help heal relational conflict? It's an easier thing to say than to do, because then that's the wedge between you. Right. And it's obvious yep. to both of you. Mm -hmm. So if you have to work in any kind of close proximity on projects, on teams, it's just obvious to everybody else around you. There's a gap here. Yeah. And why aren't you, as credible leaders, why aren't you addressing this? Yeah, I think of that statement, agreeing to disagree, as being like an open wound on the skin. It might have a Band-Aid over it, but the open wound is still there. Agreeing to disagree is 
essentially on my end, the conversation is done. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's very honest. I think that when somebody says, I agree to disagree, they're putting a stake in the sand stating what their position is. And we know, having gone through a pandemic, that there was division that would happen even within families over the question of getting vaccinated or not getting vaccinated. And it caused a division that I don't think is helped by saying, well, we agreed to disagree. The other piece, of course, is it in no way validates the other person. So you've discredited them in your own mind. Yes. On both sides, actually. Exactly. Uh, you know, one of the keys for us releasing this ongoing relational conflict is through the practice of forgiveness. I've been in situations where if somebody will say to me, or in one case, they wrote me a note and they said, it's okay, I want you to know I've already forgiven you. And it was for something that I didn't even know what I had done yet. So I'm not yep. talking about that kind of cheap forgiveness. I'm talking about you doing the hard work of of saying, no, I, I sincerely forgive them for whatever it is that's at the root of this conflict. And I want to extend forgiveness, but I also want to receive forgiveness. One of the things I think would be crucial for us to clarify, because the question comes up all the time, just because I've forgiven somebody, then what? Mm -hmm. yeah. Make sure the forgiveness is not just an exercise that you think you're supposed to do, but it is authentic and heartfelt. Mm -hmm. One of the things that the Bible makes pretty clear is you then bless them. And I get asked, mm -hmm. like, seriously, far too often, what does that mean? I say, you pray over them the things that you know would be best for them, the things you would want for yourself, your closest family members. Yeah. Pray them over that person. They go, I, I'm not ready to do that. Well, then we've got a ways to go. Mm -hmm. But forgiveness is offered. Trust is earned. Right. If somebody has seriously hurt you, taken something from you, you can forgive them. You can offer it freely. But that trust has to be earned back. Mm -hmm. I've got a scar on my hand. I'm showing this to Martin right now because we're in the studio. But I've got this small scar on my hand that is like my forgiveness scar. I got it because I foolishly as a child tried to shoot a hunting knife with a slingshot and it slipped and went through my hand and nailed my hand onto the handle of the slingshot Ooh. and went through a lot of pain getting it sewn up on several levels inside my hand. And it hurt like crazy, like like fainting kind of hurt when they were trying to get the knife out and they were wiggling it back and forth. And Martin's closing his eyes now because he doesn't want to doesn't want to hear this. But when they pulled the knife out and it hurt so much, I can tell you that story now and I'm looking at the scar and it doesn't hurt anymore. The scar is still there. So I haven't forgotten about it. And I think that when true forgiveness takes place, it's like that. You hear the phrase forgive and forget. I don't think we always forget, no. but we can forgive in a way that I can see the scar there. It doesn't hurt me anymore to talk about that. When we're, as mentors and leaders, when we're listening to people who are trying to process and deal with this 
Sometimes we think the best thing is to just keep silent. You know, there are times when it's best to actually call in a third party and have a mediator come in. And we've both done that. And we've also done it with organizations. Yes. That there mm -hmm. would be a group of people or a board and a leader. Mm -hmm. Sometimes even an entire congregation. I think the largest I've ever done it was probably 16 or 1800 people and conflict there. It's a whole different game, but the basics are almost identical. If we're mentoring a younger leader, they have this ongoing conflict and it's consuming them. One of the first things I would say is to, let's put some healthy boundaries around yourself in what you're doing here and remind the leader, you need healthy boundaries and to figure out what those are. Now, often they need more help than they think they need at establishing True. what those boundaries are because some of them are too extreme. But an idea might be limit the amount of communication you have or the number of times when you have interactions with them until you can kind of rebuild yourself and get in a healthier place that we can talk about moving this towards healing. But even saying a healthier place is a value judgment if that person's overly sensitive. Yes. Or feels the conflict themselves. Mm -hmm. Let me talk about how you do this within family structures. We had moved to Canada. It was my first teaching post. And our family was uh, doing okay until it wasn't. A big mm -hmm. adjustment. We'd moved from suburban Chicago to Saskatchewan very different. Mm. And it just became clear that things weren't going the way any of us wanted it to. So we just had a pattern of having what we called family meetings and we knew what they looked like. And so we just declared a family meeting. Let's bring it up. So we did and got started. And I mean, I was the dad. I kind of knew what was going on, I thought. And so we got started. And one of my children said, dad, um, I think you're the issue and was very clear of what they thought that was. I just thought, fine, let's just keep going. Second one speaks, goes, I agree, dad, you're, you're the issue. And I said, what, you didn't have your own? So you, you just went along <laughs> with power suggestion. I wasn't feeling insecure, but I sure sounded like it. And I said, are we gonna go around the circle and that's gonna be the case? And they all put their heads down and went, yeah. No, and I said, yeah. okay, then you all have to help me mm -hmm. because I had no idea. Yeah. And if you all are right, and even if you're not, that's the perception, I have to make adjustments. So talk to me a little bit now. We may have to have more than one of these meetings. But I learned so much that night. Now, Carson, I've told that story, large gatherings, small gatherings. It's very common for one of the parents, but because I was the father, often fathers go, why would you do that? Why would you admit that in front of mm -hmm. your family? Because mm -hmm. everybody else saw but, it, just yeah. not me. Yeah. It reminds me of, there's a well-known author who's written about leadership things, and he had the Bob principle, he called it. And the nature of it was, if the welcoming desk secretary says that Bob's the problem, and the head of marketing says Bob's the problem, and the vice president of operations says Bob's the problem, then Bob's the problem. 
And we need to listen to those voices and apply them. Hi, I'm Roy, and I'm the producer of Mentored. If you're a leader who's looking for personal or professional growth to take you to the next level, you actually need the support of an experienced mentor. And after working with these guys, I tend to agree. I think they're right on the money. Carson Pugh and Associates are going to offer you that with their virtual Zoom platform. Leaders from around the globe can receive the best possible mentorship in the comfort of their home or office. To learn more, visit mentoredpodcast.net and arrange a talk about your needs today. Invest in your future and your leadership with my old friend Carson. Your future starts now. I will say one final statement because we listen to so much of this that it's essential to help whoever we're listening to. It's essential to help them release the resentments that are building up so that it all of a sudden has its own life and it was never intended to be that way. Yeah. I frequently will use a computer as my illustration about this where I talk about RAM So random access memory in a computer is the kind of working part that's taking part there. And if your mind or your life is filled with thoughts about this ongoing relational conflict, you're using up RAM that is not available for use in other ways, even healthier ways. And so what you do with a computer is you clear the cache. You get it out of that random access memory And it allows you much more space than in computer language, you'll run faster. Sounds good. Now, Carson, in order to do this well, we probably need to somehow address the issue of pride. Yeah, I think that's one of the greatest barriers to overcoming this kind of conflict that we're talking about is one or both parties actually have a sense of pride that's preventing them from going and moving towards a healthier place. So it is, as the Irish would say, the sin of pride. And I don't think we have to take this further to explain it. No. But just raise awareness. Look for it. Yep. See if it's there. Question yourself. Exactly. More than the other person. Yeah. Final statement on my end. You just can't overemphasize honesty where you deal with the truth in your own mind first Mm -hmm. and then create an environment where you can speak it, it won't automatically work every time. It just doesn't. But recognize that you've at least gotten a handle on truth and reality as it relates to you. Mm -hmm. Now, we always say, you have to own 100% of your side. You can't own theirs, but you have to handle all 100% of your side of the issue. Yeah. Well, both you and I have nurtured relationships with our family, with our kids, where we gather and we have those reality sessions with them. And I would encourage our listeners to be thinking about what would work for you to create a place where you can have that sort of a reality check in your life. We don't want you to be part of the ongoing relational conflict. Well said. Hey, Another moment in time, another mentoring topic, and we look forward to being back with you in our next episode. Exactly. 
you want to hear more from us and find other resources on mentoring, head over to our website at www.mentoredpodcast.net where you'll find all our topics as well as a way to subscribe to future episodes. And we'd also appreciate it if on social media, you take a moment to like or comment on our episodes. This helps us create better content and reach more people with our message. I'm Martin Sanders. And I'm Carson Pugh. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.